You're listening to the Hotard Huddle Podcast, presented by me, Michael Hotard. Check it out as we dive into sports, movies, music, TV, and more. This is the Hotard Huddle Podcast. Bring it in. It's time for the Hotard Huddle Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Hotard. Alongside me today is my good friend, Matt Freeu. Matt, first and foremost, Thanks for being on the show, dude. Oh, no no problem, buddy. Uh, it's good to see you. I haven't seen you in a while. Yeah, man. it's uh, It's been a while, but one of the good things that we will see each other for, hopefully, barring oh. coronavirus, <laughs> is AEW coming to New Orleans. We'll talk a little bit about that later on the episode, as both Matt and I are huge wrestling marks. Um, but to start this off, one of the cool things about Matt uh, is he is now a YouTuber, a paid YouTuber. So. Uh, that's such... I, I'm i not going to say that I hate being called a YouTuber, but it, I, I feel like that carries a connotation with it <laughs> that I am uncomfortable with. I am a man <laughs> who puts out YouTube videos, and I think that is as far as I am willing to go with it. All right, so for the sake of this, for the sake, <laughs> for the sake of the, of the title and the SEO, we'll go, we'll go, man, with a YouTube channel. There we go. But Matt, you're getting paid to to do YouTube videos now, and to kind of set this up, so you know, to say the least, Matt will admit to this. You know, he's a huge video game nerd tenfold, and he decided to start producing videos, and not just you know, hey, let me talk about this and have me on screen talking for 20 minutes about v- different video games. You put out a Marvel versus Capcom. Yes. Um, basically recap your analysis. Uh, it, the video ran 20 it, or so it, it minutes. Was, it was about 23 minutes. So I was kind of sitting at like sitting bored at work one day during lunch. That's and when all the great ideas come up. Yeah, yeah. And so the the anniversary of Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, the one-year anniversary is, was coming up. And uh, the Marvel vs. Capcom series is kind of a beloved like series within that video game community. And there were a lot of reasons why Infinite didn't quite hit the highs of its predecessors. And I felt like there wasn't enough of all sides being kind of spoken about so i decided to start writing something up and you know you know we did stuff in college with video editing and so i decided hey i haven't edited a video in a long time i want to do something with a video editing thing and so i wrote the script i voiced the script and then i spent about a week and a half editing it and put it out and it 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 got um like let me backtrack. I put that thing out with the intention of getting maybe 3,000 views. And so, shit, it's kind of, can I, can I swear on this podcast? Yeah, absolutely, Fuck, dude. Yeah. That's what we're all about. Anyway, yeah. So I put it out expecting about 3,000 views. And what ended up happening is that a YouTuber by the name of Maximilian. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay, all right. I, I don't remember you telling me about that, but I yes. know the YouTube name. Yes. Okay. Um, so a guy by the name of Maximilian, who at the time had about 800,000 subscribers, yeah, tweeted about it, and that gave me like a little boost of views. And then a few days later, he came out with a video about the one-year anniversary of Marvel vs. Capcom. And he straight up said, go check this Stumble guy, Stumblebee guy out. He made a great video about all of the stuff leading up to Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite. And that is what really took everything off. Dude, that's, and at, that's yeah, dope. At that point, the video was getting served to people in recommendations, and people were clicking on it, and people were watching it for a long time, which in turn fed the algorithm even more. And so at, at that point, I was like, well, shit, I guess I got to make more videos. And so then I switched to the history of Street Fighter Cross Tekken, and that got like 400,000 views. And then I did a Street Fighter Five video, and then I did another and another and another, and now I'm up to um, 40,000, almost 40,000 subscribers. Um, I have something along the lines of like four and a half million, five million views. I have made a, a decent amount of money off of it. It's it's about total lifetime in the channel is about 6,500 bucks. Which over the span of like a year and a half for a hobby is not terrible money. No, absolutely not. Um, and yeah, it, it's kind of been wild to see the channel grow so much and be on the other side of like being on YouTube 
and watching like the analytics, what works, what doesn't work, um, titling videos, your thumbnails, like all of this stuff that I didn't really ever think about. And well, now it's all are thing. Huge. Yeah, it's thumbnails gigantic. Are a very big thing with YouTube. Yeah. Um, but what you know, you talking about that and how it just kind of came to be um, is interesting because one of the things that I posted the other day on a marketing page uh, was regarding you know going viral mm-hmm. and what exactly it is, and you know the the quote is something along the lines of paraphrase that is going viral is a happening. It's not something you can predict essentially. And that's kind of what happened for you, you know? Um, and dude, when you told me that I was pumped because, you know, for, for a YouTuber like Maximilian to to share that and be able to put that out to those 800,000 subscribers, huge. And obviously it gave you that launch point. There's your happening. But the thing about you uh, and you know, I've known you since college. And one of the things I've always appreciated is your work. You know, I, I'm not a Marvel versus Capcom fan, but I did watch that video in its entirety and just the technical side of it from the editing, you implementing the gameplay and not just sitting on a screen talking for 23 minutes was fantastic. The voiceover work was fantastic. And uh, ironically enough, just to kind of have everyone, hear kind of how I feel about this dude. So uh, I have a video that I'm going to produce, um, you know, probably sometime in the summer. Uh, Nothing crazy or anything like that. It's going to be about a minute and a half. It's a trailer for something that's supposed to be funny uh, regarding fantasy football. And I had Matt do the voiceover work, be kind of that main narrator for it. And it's because you have that unique voice and you have a very uh, good talent for seeing um, you know, a story play out in kind of the long form sense of video editing. And I, I'm just pumped that that kind of happened for you. And I was going through your YouTube scoping out the rest of the videos. And it's cool because you go on there and it's, you know, 200,000. Yeah. It's like, it's serious shit. Like, it, like it, it's, it's interesting. Um, because people can get away with, uh, you know, doing videos of them talking for 20 minutes, playing the video game at the same time, that's really tough for me. So I kind of had to figure out a way that I could use what I do and kind of circle and pinpoint a niche uh, and a product that people would want to watch because it's like that was something that was missing in the fighting game community, that long form, kind of informative, kind of funny, um, kind of historical content, um, yeah, and so I noticed that people were enjoying it. Well, dude, and then you had, I mean, there's a reason I got you to do the voiceover for a video I'm going to do, and it's because you have that great voice. You know, a funny story about Matt here. So he flexed a little bit when we went oh, to yeah. <laughs> uh, WrestleMania Fan Access for WrestleMania 30. We were still in college, you know, just a bunch of young kids just, not even scrapping at the world and what it has to offer yet, really. Well, we're watching some of the NXT matches, and we're standing right there, close and personal, and they do a contest. Name that theme song, and you have to do it in X amount of seconds. I still thank Zack Ryder for giving me this opportunity. (laughs) So Matt gets called into the ring. Because I was like... You're my broski. I forget the uh, I forget the name of the announcer who was up yeah. there, but I was like, "You're my broski," and he was like, "Well, I gotta get him up here." So yeah, and he, you're of course one of the things. I, again, I love about this dude is how obnoxiously funny he is without ever really breaking the barrier of, you know, offending anyone. It's really great and really fun to be around. So anyway, him being obnoxious gets him in an NXT ring. And, of course, I'm like, dude, you have to take a bump when you go in there, which, of course, that was one of the things they outlawed. You didn't, and I get it. But you do this little contest where you have to guess a theme song. The dude and you are going back and forth because they say, do you want to take one second? Do you want to take two seconds? Do you want to take three? And you kind of have to play with your opponent. So Real quick, when you're doing that game with wrestling themes, always go for the lowest amount of time. Those themes are they gieaways. Have, they they're giveaways. They gotta be recognizable in one second. Yeah, 100%. I got down to two, and he stupidly did not go down to one. Yeah. So, Freeu gets the chance to guess, and 
the theme was ding 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 yeah ding, J- jbl ding, 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 and immediately ding, ding. as soon as it played i saw your face light up like oh dude easy money and uh you get on the mic and you flex it a little bit and i'm not gonna do it i'm gonna let you do it john bradshaw layfield exactly oh yeah just like that so he's got that ring announcer voice so he goes in there flexes on them a little bit wins his free copy of uh wwe 2k and uh we walk out of fan access later that day, happy as hell, had a great time. So basically going back to what we were talking about oh, though. Real with- quick. Um I realized that the guy who I beat in Name That Tune got tickets to WrestleMania. Yeah, that's true. I was I was a little salty about that, but like I was like, we already had tickets to WrestleMania. He didn't. They were probably like upper bowl tickets anyway. I couldn't yeah. have been that mad about it, but like also I could have gotten tickets to WrestleMania. <laughs> if you would have lost. <laughs> but no, yeah, it was a cool experience, though. But going back to YouTube, so Stumblebee, that's where you can follow him. Um, but I, I guess for you, what's what's your favorite video that you produced so far? So my favorite video that I think that I that I produced is, um, are you familiar with the Soul Calibur series of games? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, okay. So there was a rumor going around um, around the time of Soul Calibur 3 um, that Dante from Devil May Cry was going to be in Soul Calibur 3. It was on the wiki, um, and it was on some forum posts, but I could not find substantial evidence pointing to the fact that Dante himself was going to be in that game. So I kind of put on my journalism hat <laughs> and searched up the the forum posts. I bought Game Informer magazines uh, to look through any mention of uh, Soul Calibur 3. Uh, I actually went out and purchased those magazines from eBay, searched through them, couldn't find them, and then I got a tip that was like, look at this magazine, because they straight up asked the guy in this magazine if whether or not he is in Soul Calibur 3. You know, and, and just kind of the ability to go down that rabbit hole um, and get some actual results, and it, it felt like a really natural progression from knowing nothing about it to figuring out everything out um, is probably the favorite process that I've ever done to make a video. Um, that video is actually, you know, it's weird because it's like the video that you think is going to do gangbusters doesn't and the video that you don't really expect to do anything really is amazing. Um, there was one video that I did, I think about Mortal Kombat that ended up getting like 230, 250,000 views. This video that I'm talking about now is like 60,000. Yeah. Which still, the, the, the wild thing about well, my, real quick, the wild thing about the success that I've had is that I feel like everybody on that website who doesn't have as many views as me would absolutely kill to have those views. But it's just like your your perspective on what success is gets really warped. Yeah. You know? Well, all right. So take my my blog, for example, kind of playing off that point. So I, I, I you know, a lot of people, I'll text them what I posted that day because it pertains to sports a lot of the times. But if I'm ever writing about video games or I do like my March Madness bracket that I did, I'll shoot you that because that's going to be stuff that you'll you'll be interested yeah. in. I know you're not going to want to read about why Tom Brady's the greatest. So, um, but kind of playing off that point though of you produce these things and you do these things that you're like, oh my God, this is going to kill it. And then you're just like, oh, fuck. <laughs> so... It's kind of the same thing, and you talk about the deep dives, the journalistic side of it. I do the same. I literally went through, when I was writing a a column about Drew Brees right after the third 7-9 season, I did a deep dive in the history of the league, how no other top quarterback or top-tier quarterback to that level lost three seasons in a row or has as many losing seasons as Drew Brees at the time, and you know, still doesn't, but Brees has obviously rebounded, but... I went through a deep dive there. I went back through every single game log since 2006. I looked at the pass-to-run ratio. I looked at the number of turnovers in the first half. I did a fucking deep dive. This took three days of me digging and sifting, probably 10 hours of research total. And that goes back to what you talk about with the journalistic side of it. And I write this article, and I named it Kill the Head, the Body Dies, referencing Greg Williams. And 
it did get a lot of views and it actually is one of my most viewed but I do that for a lot of my articles, but then I'll post something about coronavirus and it'll get 150 right off the bat. Right. And of course, uh, you know, web traffic is a little bit different than uh, YouTube. Right. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, for me, uh, on average, I get about twelve to 1,300 views a month for Hotard Huddle. That's pretty good. And, I mean, that's writing between 12 to 15 columns, one every other day, basically. And I'm okay with it. It's a solid number. I try to stay at least 50 hits a day. Yeah. That's kind of the goal right now until I see some substantial increase. But that being said, like I said, going back to – you know what you said it's always those random ones that just kind of hit hit for you for example i did weekly power rankings this this season for nfl i and, liked those and and that's the thing like it, it blended the lines of sports and other industries the number i one, like seeing ranking stuff well yeah and that's the <laughs> other thing i'm a, i'm a rankings whore dude i that's why i i'm obsessed with top 10 lists stuff like that but the most viewed column despite all the research i did for some hard-hitting pieces for 2019 was my power rankings where i compared every team to the office <laughs> and i mean i remember I, that post. I, I get why the office is ultra popular but it, again going back to it it's always the things that you're like ah eh, i'm okay if this gets a couple of couple of hits but then dude by like the next day i was like oh holy shit and then right since I relaunched the blog, which I'm happy about this one getting a lot of views, but since I relaunched the blog um, last May, probably it's it's approaching that year mark. The most viewed one I had was shitting all over the media for the Kobe Bryant coverage. Yeah, and I'm yeah. really happy about that because, and that's kind of a that's a, an important topic. Well, it's a topic I'm starting to dive into more with the blog, kind of fact checking people because. And we'll, we can dive into this, um, you know, right now with coronavirus. There's just a lot of Ooh. misinformation out there. Yeah. And this goes for everything, not just coronavirus. You know, we live in this social media-driven society now where memes get shared. And people look at those memes as fact, as face value. One of my biggest pet peeves that I've seen uh, as far as things like that getting shared, Fox News posted a graphic of the... Uh, employment rates and economic numbers uh, comparing uh, Trump to Obama. But what they don't fail to tell you is the numbers that were shared, and this happened about two years ago, was it was Trump's numbers a year into office versus Obama's numbers a year into office. So... Yeah, and, and, still, and Obama was kind of dealing with a recession at that point. Exactly. So the, the numbers housing market were com- collapsed. Right. You're dealing with completely skewed numbers. And of course, everyone talking, everyone that's a supporter of Trump is sharing this like wildfire. Oh, look at this. Okay, great. Now, why don't you look at the timestamp on those numbers? So, right. You know, and it just becomes a huge issue. Media literacy is uh, something that I think needs to be taught in schools. Um, tracking down sources, finding, finding as unbiased of, uh, the information as you can picking out uh, that that's kind of the dangerous thing because a lot of biased articles will have nuggets of truth. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, and you need to kind of be able to pick those out and then form a picture of whatever news is happening with the biased like nuggets of information plus the actual facts of what's going on and then formulating an opinion around that an educated opinion but it's so easy to just click that share button on that dumb yeah, meme man and, well, oh. dude, and you know we talk about this like one of the things and the reason i think we kind of got into this conversation to begin with is because you talked about the deep dive of you trying to figure out if Dante's in this damn video game. Yeah. I do the same thing with sports statistics. I do the same thing with political numbers. Um, and, you know, for everyone that trashes the media, this is where I have, this is kind of where I take issue with it. One, we all know the media skews the numbers and they know what they're doing when they skew the numbers. But that being said, if you're making it easy to skew the numbers and you fall for every number that you see because it panders to what you think, you're also feeding into that problem. And, you know, one of the things I am grateful for with Nichols are teachers like 
Dr. Stewart, uh, Nikki Boudreaux, Lance Arnold, you know, Dr. Simon Selly, all these people. We had some great fucking educators at Nichols. Yeah. You know, they they beat it into our heads as we're going through these classes. Dr. Shasson's another one. Do you, I was going to say, do you remember the first newspaper in America? Because I do. Thank you, Dr. Shesson. <laughs> I actually... Foreign occurrence is both public and domestic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I might have screwed that up, but that's the that's close to it. Thank you, Dr. Shesson. But the thing they beat in our heads, though, and the, the important part past, you know, just the, the history of it is be accurate, be fair, and find the truth. And, you know, that's that's something that's just so lost not only in the mainstream media but it's also lost in society and it's just that double-edged sword because on one hand you have consumers complaining so much about the misinformation out there but you don't do yourself any favors because you don't go searching for the truth yeah and, and that's the thing um most people aren't like you and i like most people didn't go to a journalism school and so they don't know i I hate to say that they don't know that they are being manipulated because I feel like that means that like the media is attempting to manipulate. Um, I think a lot of media, especially local media uh, are just trying to get the facts out there. Absolutely. I think national publications like CNN, MSNBC, uh, Fox news, you know where they, you know where they lean and you need to figure out, how to kind of counter counterbalance that lean by like going to the CNN website and then going to the Fox News website yes, and then absolutely. seeing how both of those websites write the same article from the same set of facts. Yeah. And like I, most people don't want to put forward the effort. Right. You know, and, and us kind of we lived in media for a time. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of have an experience that a lot of other people don't have and I am struggling with how we as former ex you know ex media people um how we kind of instill those values into people who just want to share the memes yeah and one of the things that I've been doing lately I've always uh, you know I I did it a lot in college I'd get political on Facebook and stuff and I was told for so long don't do that employers don't like that this and that and Quite honestly, I mean, now that I run my own business, and granted, that can fold tomorrow, but I just don't give a shit. If as long as I'm not going on there being a being a complete dick, if I don't get a job because I'm fact checking somebody, like for example, someone commented about the coronavirus recently, um, and the reason we'll talk coronavirus is because well, it's relevant right now. Oh yeah. Um, but they shared the the numbers of H1N1, a.k.a. swine flu, versus the numbers for coronavirus. Well, there's a couple of factors to consider. You're comparing the total deaths and total cases, but H1N1's gone. It's done with. We're now dealing with coronavirus in real time. So you can't compare the total numbers. And on top of that... You're ignoring the the mortality rates. If you want to take the confirmed cases of H1N1, you're looking at 0.0002 deaths for, you know, the cases. Now, let's look at coronavirus. You're dealing with almost 3%. It's 1,500 times yeah, the it, it, deaths. The dangerous thing about it is that people are saying, you know, it's it's the flu. It's, it's, that's all it is. But they are also ignoring the fact that as you get older, the death rate goes up. Absolutely. Up to something ridiculous like 8% for the most I think it, old I think Ameri it goes, the oldest Americans. I think it actually or was... Oldest people, not just Americans. I think it was 14 for the oldest, meaning oh, like 80. Yeah. Uh, 80 plus. It gets substantially larger. And, and I have to go double check, but I'm pretty sure after 50, it goes up to like 6 or 8%. You know, and, and plus, the people who are younger than that but have respiratory issues. Yeah, it, it's going to affect you with the underlying first confirmed, conditions. I don't, don't quote me on this, but the first death in Louisiana happened today uh, yeah. from coronavirus, and that person was like 56, but he had respiratory issues. Yes. He's had a history of health problems. And like that's what we're talking about. I feel like people simultaneously aren't taking this seriously enough and some people just 
take it too seriously. Take it there's, too seriously. There's the panic, the buying of products. You know, I was telling you before we started recording that I went to go get toilet paper because we needed some. I went to go get water. I have a pregnant wife, a uh, seven-month pregnant wife. Congratulations, and, by the way. Thank you. And a two-and-a-half-year-old son, both of which w- drink water. Congratulations primarily. on that. Yeah, drinking water. <laughs> yeah. That's good. So they do better than I do in that department. But, um, you know, I there was literally no water in stock, and I had one bottle left. So luckily we found some today, but I'm just like, dude, what the hell? Um, but kind of playing off that point, though, is there's extremes to both sides here, and both are equally dangerous. And, you know, for for the people that are kind of downplaying all of this and thinking, oh, it's just the flu or comparing it to swine flu. There's an incubation period of contagion for up to two weeks before you show symptoms with this. And then on top of that, you're going to deal with the symptoms for up to potentially two more weeks. So you want to talk about contagion, you could potentially be, this doesn't guarantee you will be because I think the range is two to 14 on both ends. But you can be as contagious for up to four days, I believe, or up to 28 days. Plus uh, the fact that the coronavirus, uh, I'm not sure on the numbers, um, is significantly more contagious than the flu. Yeah. Um, You know, so being as like people shake hands, people are, you know, talking about as close as we are together. This is this is enough distance. We're about three feet apart. For me to spread the coronavirus. Well, and to we you. were joking about that before, and because of that incubation period, I might have it right now. You might have it right now, but yeah. we could potentially not know it. And leaving here, well, guess what? If I give it to you or you give it to me, I'm giving it to people I come in contact and with. And that's that's the thing, you know. I would. Love I've seen enough zombie movies to know how this <laughs> goes. <laughs> you know, and, and that's that's the thing. People think that the MLB, the NHL, NASCAR, WWE, the people think that like canceling all these sports events um, is kind of a drastic measure. They think it's overboard. Mm-hmm. But when you have that many people in close proximity, that's something that you need to do. You need to prevent the spread of this in ways that maybe could suck. Well, you know, you and I, I I texted you on Friday because AEW tickets went on sale for New Orleans in May. Now, we don't know. Maybe the virus is still around then. Maybe it's not. I hope it's not. But... We're seeing AEW shows currently getting moved to different cities because of that contagion, because of the risk there. And if we get canceled out, I paid the extra six bucks for the refund just in case, but they're probably going to refund it anyway. And I mean, I get it if you have a trip planned or you. Tony Khan's going to take care of us. Yeah, Tony Khan's got us. But. I understand the disappointment because, dude, if we don't get to go see AEW live, yeah, I'm going to be disappointed, but I'm not going to beat the drum about it criticizing the company for doing that. I am going to be happier at not contracting the coronavirus than I would have been at an AEW show. Right, exactly. And, I mean, I'm there's people in my life who, if I give the coronavirus to, they're at substantial risk. And right. I don't – and even if – I give it to someone else. I don't want my contagion to go over to someone and potentially hurt someone they love. Like, that's that's not cool. So, you know, and I've been seeing some of the other things, some of the issues I've been taking with it. I've been seeing seafood places having community crawfish boils. What the, f- what the fuck are you doing? You're a fucking idiot. I have been um, frequenting my local Chinese food place because people are racist. Uh, and they cannot get their heads around the fact that uh, the virus may have originated in China, but it is our problem now. Yeah. And so they are not going to the Chinese food places because they are worried about getting the coronavirus from Chinese food, and they are stupid. So I have been eating a lot more Chinese food recently. Actually, uh, so on the uh, another Asian uh, food experience, I I went and got hibachi the other day, so... Kind of the same thing, and normally during lunch hours, people it's are going slammed. to hibachi restaurants. Fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but another another big issue I took. So there's a boutique uh, right across the river, and I was telling you about this before. You spend twenty five dollars there; they're giving you a free roll of toilet paper, which. 
That's yeah. I'm not a fan of that. It feels no. really gross. Yeah, exactly. You're pl- like, it's one thing to capitalize on pain points to some degree, but don't also pander to the pain points. And what I mean by that is, I was I was sharing that with a buddy of mine, and he was saying his business is actually running ads right now, saying, "Hey, do this because it'll get you away from cor- potential coronavirus." I'm like. It's not the same thing. You're not comparing, you know, apples to apples there because you're you're using the coronavirus to help your business, but you're also not taking away toilet paper and feeding into the hysteria and feeding into the lack of supplies. And that's where the problem is. Dude, I'm pumped because we at my household went out and got toilet paper like a few days before all this. And I'm really excited. <laughs> Because that means that I haven't had to go out get toilet paper yeah. and haven't had to deal with that dollar store one ply like paper yeah. thin terribleness. Uh, so I, I got pretty lucky in that regard. Who knows if you know this is going to last for any amount of time? Um, but I am caked up as far as toilet paper goes. <laughs> Very happy about that. Yeah, anyway, man. it's it's crazy though. Um, with what's going on with coronavirus, but let's lighten the mood now. So. Um, you and I both big wrestling fans and we got to talk about this. So as I said earlier, you know, uh, for you, AKA Stumblebee on YouTube, you're going to hear that more than once. Go <laughs> follow my boy. But, um, you know, we, we found out AEW was coming. I text you immediately or called you and I was like, yo, we going? And I was like, yeah, I'm yes. Down. <laughs> <laughs> you know this. So you and I, I mean, literally every wrestling event that's come to town for the most part since Mania Thirty, we have gone to just about together. Yeah, it, you like know? major. Like, there's been some like Raws and some Smackdowns. Yeah, like but, we like, sat a for couple like, pay per views and stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. Like we sat uh, even for Raw. You know, you and I both had floor seats. Yeah. On the same night. Now we weren't right next to each other, but we could see each other the whole event. Um, sent you a picture of your, uh, of your signs. Yeah. And I got that stolen from me. That was fun. Or <laughs> I got that taken cause you know, WWE and their censorship, but you know, now that AEW's rolling in town, I'm pumped. Um, because you and I, you know, we hosted top rope talk on, uh, KNSU, you know, that was an idea we had, I think it was after Royal Rumble. Yes. We literally were driving back to campus at 11 o'clock at night, and we just go over there, and we're like, do you want to host our first edition of Top Rope Talk yeah, tonight? And, I was and we like, did. We have the means to do it. We might as well. We got opinions that people need to hear. And with you as station manager, let's abuse that power. Hell yeah, dude. I was such a shitty station manager. <laughs> so, oh my God. So, you know how we had those, like, the... the the CDs come in with the music of these like small indie bands that we were probably supposed to play. Yeah. Um, me and my infinite wisdom as station manager just kind of allowed people to play what they wanted, no matter what. Like yeah. it could have been like big name artists. But I was I, playing Lupe yeah, and Childish playing, Gambino, and I was just like, maybe that's not supposed to. You know what it was? It was because I think we were under the false assumption that since we were a public radio station at a public uh, uni- uh, university, that we could do that. And uh, no, uh, the FCC says you totally can't. But, you know, since it was college radio, nobody really paid attention to it. <laughs> who was a, a decision maker in any sense. That was a lot. of. Those were some fun years. Oh, yeah, dude. I loved uh, I loved the radio station. It was great. It was fun. And uh, so anyway, we did Top Rope yeah. Talk, which was yeah. awesome. So. Uh, diving into AEW, like I said, we've gone to a lot of live events together, and now we get potentially, hopefully, our first experience with AEW, All Elite Wrestling. I am fucking pumped, dude, because I didn't think it was actually going to come here for at least another year, because New Orleans, let's call a spade a spade. It's a shitty wrestling market. If you're hosting a big event, in terms of in terms of actual venue, WrestleMania is great here, but it's not because of New Orleanians. It's because of the international fans that it brings. But you go to your run-of-the-mill Raw here or anything like that, the crowd sucks. Lafayette still hasn't gotten a TV taping since... Um, remember when they brought a whole bunch of NXT's talents up? It was the same night that Ricochet yeah. and Aleister Black yeah. debuted, and I think there was a tag team in there. Um but like Lafayette did not react and WWE was like, what the hell's going on? They even made fun of the Lafayette audience 
in a few of their YouTube videos saying that these guys just sat on their hands all night and since that moment they haven't gotten a show. Yeah. Um, which kind of goes to show, um, you know, just how much of a challenge this market is for wrestling. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that AW is going with the Lakefront Arena. It's significantly smaller. You can probably get a noisier crowd in there. Yeah. And the thing is, AW, with the way it's kind of growing, I'm curious to see the fan base that goes. Because I think this crowd will be a lot less little kids. I think it's still going to be a lot of those hardcore wrestling fans like us. Because the thing is, the reason AEW has gotten so popular, and you and I can beat the drum on this all day, the storytelling compared to anything else mainstream-wise Very good. is second to none. It's not even close. You know, we just... The most recent event we watched, we uh, watched Revolution uh, mm -hmm. just recently. And... It's their second pay-per-view since doing the weekly shows. And they started in October. So this was two and a half months of building this card. And the story made sense. That's it so never nice. felt rushed. It's so freaking brilliant because all they're, they're not trying too hard. They're not panicking or jumping on what's hot. Orange Cassidy has been the most over person in wrestling, and I will say in all of wrestling. I think they're using him perfectly. Yeah, they, they, they he's had one singles match, yeah. and it was at that pay-per-view six, five, six months into their weekly shows, and he's a mainstay on that show. I think putting him with the best friends is a really smart idea, mm -hmm. too. It's put them over. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that that crowd would care about them whatsoever if it weren't for Orange Cassidy. Right. But now because I of Orange Cassidy. I love those guys. Yeah. But, let, like, but being honest, they weren't getting that much of a reaction before they started putting up with Orange Cassidy. Well, the, it's, uh, I guess, similar... The best comparison I can think of is maybe someone like The Brood. If it wasn't for Edge right. and The Brood, yeah. they probably wouldn't have cared. Um even though Gangrel was the centerpiece of that. Yeah. But uh, going back to best friends with Orange Cassidy, everyone fucking loves when Orange Cassidy stands there looking nonchalant with his hands in his pockets, and Trent and Chuck Taylor come rushing to the center and they do their best friend hug. And, and everyone then, like, just the camera pans out. Yeah. That is That is a, an extremely Japanese shot right there, the quick pan out. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. I love it. And that's kind of the thing. Um, AEW is such, uh, it, it is kind of the anti-WWE in a lot of ways. Um, I think specifically doing smaller arenas is a really brilliant idea. Mm -hmm. Because it, when you think of insurgent shows that have come out to try to topple the WWE, uh, I think of TNA specifically. Uh, Impact. They have run shows back in those days. They ran shows out of the same arena. It got really stale. They were able to run like four or five shows in one taping. That was a nice benefit. But like ultimately, everything got kind of stale. But with these smaller arenas, things visually look different. Yeah. You know, like you can you can see the top of the arena, like the ceiling. You can kind of like see different seating arrangements. And it, it ultimately visually gives a fresh look week by week to the show. Um, something else that I think that AEW does really, like, like you were saying, they don't have four weeks of TV pay-per-view, four weeks of TV pay-per-view. The fact that they are able to let these storylines breathe and let them come to ultimately, like, conclusions that make sense. Yeah. Really benefit that show. Well, that's the thing. They don't let the guys who are rivals get in the ring with one another until the pay-per-view. You know, that's that what... Cody w and MJF. Yeah, That's they, the poster boy for that. Absolutely. Dude, even Moxley Jericho, they right. were they were involved in some tag team matches, but never one-on-one. -on -one. They never let them get their hands on each other for long, and they built it. Whereas WWE, you're facing the same guy for four weeks in a row, and then you're having the squash match at the pay-per-view. And the problem is, you can still build without them getting in the ring together because they used to do that mm -hmm. back in the Attitude Era. But... You know, everything that WWE does wrong, AEW is doing right, and that's why it's gotten so damn popular. And, dude, that live event is going to be fucking awesome. You know, I, I was thinking about this. One of my favorite, I think, WWE moments to be a part of was the first time I got to witness Enzo and Cass enter. That was fun. Like, the whole, my name is Enzo. And the whole monologue, yeah. dude, it's it's 
It was so much God, fun. I'm was... so mad that Enzo really screwed everything up for I himself. Know. Oh, yeah. I just, I want to. I, wa- I have a Funko sitting right yeah, in front man. of us of both of them. Enzo I want Tess. five years down the line for him to make just this rumble entrance and like the crowd goes nuts and they still remember everything that he says. I don't think it's ever going to happen because Enzo is a goddamn moron. Yeah. Dude, him, so Enzo and Cass, and then probably Sami Zayn, I think, and Bailey have been probably my three favorite call-ups from NXT because of the pop that all of them got. Yeah. And one of my favorite videos to go back and watch was Sami Zayn entering the Monday after WrestleMania shortly after his debut, and it was a bunch of freaking Canadians going ape shit, right. singing his theme, dude. Yeah. it was. It's brilliant, but kind of relating that to AEW, so... One moment that I loved from WWE Live was Enzo and Cass. For me, dude, one of the things that I am most excited about is seeing Jericho enter for AEW and listening to the crowd sing Judas. I really appreciate that. That Wrestling fans don't really do chants that are more than four syllables long. Yeah. So to see, I am always such a big fan of the long chant. Like the ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, yeah. D Generation X is proud to present to you. Like like that, all yeah. all of that. I love that shit. That is my jam, and I cannot wait. I, I don't know the lyrics to Judas, but I, I will I learn started, them. I started listening to it probably two weeks ago. I got it pretty down pat. Judas in, Judas yeah. in my mind. It's dude. It's freaking awesome. The song itself too. The lyrics are fucking brilliant but uh dude when he came out and it all started really after the jericho cruise because he came out on the jericho cruise and obviously it's called the jericho cruise because it's nothing but jericho fans um so they he comes out and do the crowd was and he's a heel and they're all just basking in his own yeah. song and and because he's a heel he's able to like kind of play it up like a dick like yeah, yeah you know who i am it's exactly it's brilliant chris jericho i think get the fact that AEW got him yeah and the fact that they were able to put the championship belt on him well, and have him feud for it have him win it and then ultimately have him like defend it against like darby allen yeah and he had a match against darby jungle Allen's boy now over yeah darby allen's amazing like yeah. the fact that they were able to get him specifically really helped that company and jump start and then to grab moxley fantastic like it's it's unbelievable but you know when they announced jericho um for their big because they did that during a presser where they were announcing All Elite Wrestling was becoming a true promotion, not just, hey, here's a couple of indie shows Cody's going to put on. No, like, we're going to get a TV deal and everything like that. And they announced Jericho is in AEW. Dude, I get goosebumps thinking about it because the second he came out, that's when I was like, this okay, is real. shit, this yeah. is a real company now. Because And not to knock Cody, the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega. You need but, names. Yeah, like, don't get me wrong. Like, if you want to talk about technical wrestling, Kenny Omega is one of the best I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. And there's a reason he has most of the five-star matches of all time. <laughs> Five plus. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, uh, Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks. Young Bucks are probably the best tag team I've ever seen. So you already have technically the best tag team, technically one of the best wrestlers. Now you're adding the household names like Jericho, and then, of course, Cody, who I always felt was undervalued in WWE, and you and I both shared that sentiment for a yeah, long we, time. Yeah, we were just talking about Stardust before we yeah. <laughs> before we started talking here. Um, but, he gave everything to that damn role, and I really, really liked it. Yeah, but he, you know, the second Jericho signed, it gave that validity to it. And I guess... Let's let's dive into something a little different. I know you're a whore for lists like me. Yes. Let's let's do a countdown, which we used to do this on another wrestling show we hosted with our buddy Regis and my buddy Vito. Oh God, yeah. Uh, triple threat triple talk. Triple threat talk. But um, let's do this. Top three moments in AEW thus far. It can be uh, a move you saw, a match. It could be uh you know a promo whatever it is and it's hard to narrow down because already off the bat i have six yeah there are so many oh gosh um all right let's do each other's threes and yeah. then twos then ones yeah we'll do the countdown style give me I'll your first give me first one. three for me i'm going with the uh tag team match that got the five star rating uh or five six. five point 
No, it was. It was a straight up six. It was a six. It was a oh, six. Shit, I thought it was like five two five, but uh, no. So um, Dave Meltzer gave it a six star, but between the Young Bucks and then Kenny Omega and Hangman Adam Page, which again another fucking gimmick I love, drunk cowboy and you know just doing cowboy shit. But that match, dude, I turned to everyone we were watching with about two thirds of the way through, and I told y'all point blank. There's no way this match does not get a five-star rating without even seeing the finish. And that's how good it was. And that was, it was cool for me to watch that. Not just with you, because I know you get wrestling, but the people we were watching with, you know, two of them. They got into it. Yeah, they, they're not big into wrestling. Two of them, not at all. But they were both like, okay, this is fucking legit. Yeah, they, like, they understood it. I, I, okay, okay, so I think in my same, in, in the same vein, um, I am going to go with Pac versus Orange Cassidy. Yeah. Because uh, for my number three, mainly because, um, like I said, they have been using Orange Cassidy just about pitch perfectly. Um, he's been able just to... Just giving you enough to be like, God, I want more! Yeah, and so whenever he's kind of able to do his uh, goofy little, like... <laughs> kicks of doom. Kicks of doom, <laughs> and then, like... Pac is just like being Pac. He, it it turned out that he was kind of the perfect partner for that match. Well, that's what I love about he's Pac. He's so too. serious and well, so just like I'm a bastard. He, yeah, I'm he, mean. I'm, I'm the mean ugly. bastard. But the thing about Pac too is he's very good. He wins that match, obviously, but he put Orange Cassidy over in so many ways. Yeah, and, and there's no squash matches in AEW, right? However, there are jobbers. Oh, without that, a doubt. The, the D and D guy. I don't think yeah. he's won a match yet. Yeah. Yeah. So, I and kind of speaking of the people who we were watching that with, they were like, "I don't understand this guy." So he's like, he's just bad. And or yeah, he's and just, that's like, what does he do? And the best and way they to, got it. Yeah. At the end of that thing. Yeah. And that was a really fun moment to just kind of like, not even the wrestling, watching their reactions. Like I looked over and when Orange Cassidy was rolling, 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 (laughs) they were laughing alongside. And I was like, I'm so happy that landed. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Well, wrestling doesn't have to be good to be good because Orange Cassidy is the king of slaw style. His gimmick is to be as bad and nonchalant as possible. And it fucking works. That's why wrestling is just so fucking great he is able to get so much out of so little (laughs) and i think that that is why he is one of probably the best characters in wrestling today well my favorite part about him rolling so to set this up for those who may not have seen shit yeah i think i know what you're getting uh so basically Pac goes up to the top rope for the black arrow cassidy slowly rolls to the other side of the ring and out Pac runs over there throws him in goes up to the top rope again rolls slowly to the other side, falls out. Pac throws him back in, and instead of laying in place this time, he just keeps rolling to the other side. Pac's like, I'm going to cut him off. Fucker. So yeah. he just storms to the other side, like pissed off, and when he gets there, Cassidy sees him, and they do a pan-up, close-up shot of Cassidy, and he's just <laughs> laughing and like it's one of those moments where it's like how is Pac not breaking character here because it was fucking brilliant like even he at like after that he had to recognize it give like a little clap to the crowd like yeah 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 you got it but like that was such a funny fucking moment the fact that he was able to like straight up laugh and everybody kind of got it yeah I just that's fucking awesome I love words so number two number two for me Dude, the first cage match with Cody and Wardlow. So it was the first cage match. And, you know, we've already seen some hardcore moments with AEW pushing the envelope. First episode of AEW, Ambrose, or fuck, Moxley does the paradigm shift to Kenny Omega through a glass table. That rivalry ends with a fucking ECW match, basically. So we see that AEW is willing to push the envelope. But the cage match was cool because Cody finishes the match against Wardlow by doing a fucking moonsault off this cage. Now, this isn't a 15-foot cage like WWE has. This cage is substantially taller. I would say probably 20 to 25 foot. And 
For those who are wrestling fans that maybe didn't see it, I want you to think of the old WWF No Mercy game. It's like the uh -huh. cage on there. It's not proportionate to the ring. It's very tall. Looks almost like a tower. So Cody does the moonsault, sticks it, and it, it was just that oh shit moment. Uh, just another case of AW just fucking doing attitude era stuff. Yeah. And uh, I want to give special props to Wardlow because even he though him and sold yeah, it. even though he is kind of a a novice, I think at this point, um, yeah, I haven't actually catch, kept up with his indie career. But for, like everything that I have seen thus far, and everything I've read about him is that like he's a fairly new product. Um, but yeah, the fact that he's able to just kind of put his body out there and kind of catch Cody and make that look as good as he could have for as much of experience that he has good on him you know i didn't actually expect much from him but uh for the role that he has played as mjf's lackey he has impressed me a lot yeah so what's uh what's your number two um so i am going to say that uh the um lashes segment dude in the mjf versus cody buildup. so yeah. kind of bringing this back so in order for that was brutal to watch yes in order for cody to wrestle mjf mjf had Three conditions. Um, the first one was that cage match with Wardlow. Uh, the second one was can't touch uh, can't touch MJF at all. And the third, uh, sorry, four. The third was getting a really shitty neck tattoo. That's my <laughs> that's my head cannon. I'm starting to like it now. Ugh. And the fourth was that he had to get ten lashes from MJF with a belt with a belt. And uh, wrestling's fake. Yeah, that is. And so, okay, so Cody comes down to the ring, MJF comes down to the ring, MJF takes off his belt and starts just hitting the shit out of Cody's back. Dude, it sounded awful, it looked awful, and you could not pay me any amount of, well, you could pay me amount of money to take it, but it would take a lot. That sucked. <laughs> yeah, and it was such great storytelling, too, yeah. because, like, like Cody can't touch MJF or else he's not going to get the match. And he already had, was this before or after the match with Wardlow? I don't this, was, uh, this was, this was, I think it was after, actually. I think the lashes were the last thing. Okay, so he's almost there. Yeah, and like he's like he's getting real buck with MJF, and MJF's like fucking do it. Yeah, like nerd. touch me. And, yeah, and MJF's the perfect heel because he's, he's not, such a bastard. He yeah, he's not great in the ring, and he's still young. He's he only twenty three years old. But that exactly, he doesn't need to be because just be the heel, and you'll be able to tell great stories. And he does. Yeah, and so. So they get through what? Um, I think uh, it was four seven. Lashes. Well, three or four when Cody Arn started Anderson, like, yeah. oh and, my God. Yeah, and like, then Arn Anderson just, comes out and he's like, you, you can't, you, you got to keep going. Yeah. And then a little bit more and then like Brady Rhodes comes out and then his brother and like everybody is just like really Rallying him. Rallying him up. And then he gives the belt to Wardlow. Yeah. And Wardlow. And that was for Lash 9, yes. I think. And then Wardlow just fucking slaps the shit out of him with like Dude, a brutal ass follow through. That sounded oh. awful. And but, I think the worst oh. Lash, though, was when Cody turned around and got hit with the and belt the, on the front. On the chest. Because, yeah. like, you, like, hitting on the back, that sucks. Getting hit on the front is a whole different ballgame yeah. because that shit, there is so much, many more nerves there. And, and so I think many it was like after seven, Cody was getting up in MJF's face like pissed and yeah. that's when MJF was just being the shit and just, just like the like, visual of the of the lashes on the back and like you could see the welts and the bruising and mm -hmm. it was just so brutal and it's like once he did get through it, it like MJF played his role he was mad because he couldn't entice Cody to hit him and like I don't think the match at Revolution ultimately was that great but just the build up to that yeah. including this segment is probably one of the best segments that AEW has done so far. Hands down. Now, yeah. for, for my number one, so I mentioned how there are probably six, mo probably six moments I could have put on here just to kind of throw the honorable mentions out there. The forming of Inner Circles, just so iconic for so many reasons. Uh, it goes back to that kind of stable warfare, if you will. So you have your rival to the elite. Um, you know, another one that I thought of was Darby Allen coming back from the injury after getting, you know, guillotined with his skateboard. Uh, Darby Allen got the biggest fucking pop, and it was cool. 
Um, and that's another guy who's super young. But the number one moment for me, and I think because, you know, you know this about me, I love when wrestling breaks the fourth wall. Okay. So my number one was the promo that Cody cut before his match with Jericho for the title. Right. Oh. So... I didn't think about the that. quote that just drove it home for me because the whole thing, I mean, it was a good 10 minute promo, but he goes into Jericho talking about him being a silver spoon bitch um, or yeah. a silver spoon millennial bitch. And he references Jericho's father being a famous hockey player. And he just says it was like we I didn't had know that before. Yeah. He says it was like we had the exact same spoon. You stupid dick. And the crowd just ate it up. Like they panned to a couple of people's faces and they were like, oh, fuck. I I appreciated Cody's cadence on this because the crowd started chanting stupid dick. Yeah. And like he didn't want any part of that. So he kept going and killed the chant. That's, that's, mm. but he, he finishes it off. He finishes it off with the promo that just drives it home, not only because. The emotion, like this dude was on the verge of tears cutting the promo because there is so much truth to this because of what I mentioned about him just being forgotten about in WWE. But it's when he finishes the promo and says, this isn't about the, or he was like, you bring up my father. This isn't about the dead. It's about the living. It's about my mother. It's about my brother. It's about my sister. It's about the 14 years it took me to go from undesirable to un-goddamn deniable. Yeah. And the second I heard that, it's... Somebody's it, getting a tattoo on that. It, it instantly solidified... Maybe on the neck. ...everything about AEW for me because all of this is Cody. It's all him. And it's making the rounds. It's making the waves. It's gained its popularity. And it's all because he was willing to fucking put his name on it and take that risk with Omega and the Young Bucks and then get Tony Khan to buy into this. So, dude, that was just the coming-of-age moment. That was the moment where I was like, fucking right, this is a mainstay. And then a couple of weeks later, they signed to TNT for another three fucking years. Yeah, the fact that the fact that they were able to get um, that deal meant that the WWE could not stop them. And the best part about all of it, WWE has looked like a bitch in all of it. Yeah. With the lawsuits for Bash on the uh Bash at the Beach. The lawsuits yeah, they trying, lost that, right. They're trying to sue AW over and over again and I'm fucking thrilled that someone like Tony Khan can put his dick on the table and say, "Come at me, Vince. I got just as much fucking dick as you, bitch." <laughs> Yeah, uh, so, you know, speaking of um, dick (laughs) and putting it on the table. Joey Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) No, so my number one um, is the entire day of the first AEW television show. Um, Because that was a day that I was kind of looking forward to. Mm -hmm. That is a day that had an energy that, like, I had not felt in such a long time, and uh, that was a day that there was a momentum shift in a world that was dominated by just one show. Yes. And the fact that they were able to just come out, put on some damn solid wrestling, um, and have amazing ratings, and really show people what they were about and put their best foot forward for their very first show, and then were able to parlay that success into what we have now... The fact that they were able to really nail it, mm-hmm. just that is a feeling that you cannot bottle. And I think that is, it's kind of cheap to say that that like that whole day is a moment, but like it, it really is. And I'm getting goosebumps as you talk about it because th- this is why it's so important. I can remember so many things about that first uh about that first event. Sammy Guevara versus Cody to start the show couldn't have been Brilliant. any better. Yeah. The match was awesome. Now, Guevara's been kind of jobbing for a lot of people as kind of the just arrogant, smug understudy of Jericho, which is okay. He's still within her circle, but, so bro, he that's can 630 job. on the table? Holy yeah. shit. I'll lose every match if I could do something like that. Absolutely. But Sammy Guevara versus uh, Cody was the first match that AEW puts on Dynamite, and it was awesome. It was 
a fantastic match. And from then, I became a huge Guevara fan. I was like, this dude's fucking dope. Um, then you had Lucha Bros put on their match. I believe Private Party was also on the first episode. Yeah. And Private Party is one of my favorite tag teams. Um, but then you had the Jake Hager debut. You had Moxley put Kenny Omega through the glass table with the uh, paradigm shift. There were just so many big moments you sat there, you remembered, and each moment that happened, you're like, this is legit. Yeah. And kind of what you're saying, I was giddy that whole fucking day because I, I've told you this. I haven't watched WWE regularly in probably five years. And when I say regularly, I mean sit down and watch the shows without fast-forwarding. Mm -hmm. Now, as far as actually turning on a show, it's been two fucking years since I watched really a Raw or SmackDown. Sure. And that's yeah. fast-forwarding. So I just got so sour on it. So knowing that I had something else to look forward to and check out, and from moment one it captured me, I was like, yeah, I'm all in on this. No fucking pun intended. <laughs> yeah, man. And... Uh... I don't know. Ever since uh, NXT went to, um, it, I don't want to call this all uh, WWE's fault, but it feels like from a business perspective, they've been on a slide um, just like with, uh, with, you know, the whole coronavirus canceling all of their shows, they got to go to the performance center and like their stock prices have gone down by like 75% at the, from their highs. And then they had to fire the two VPs and then they might be, you know, uh, taking a few pay-per-views off of the network to sell on pay-per-view. It, it is, I don't want to call AEW a harbinger, but the fact that they are able, the fact that they were able to sense weakness at a, at the perfect time, uh, and then come in and really eat WWE's lunch for a large portion of what used to be their audience. It, it's really just really great timing. Absolutely, man. Yeah. But um, overall, we're about to wrap it up here. Yeah, boy. Um, Matt, I appreciate you coming on. And for those of you who want to check out uh, my buddy Matt on YouTube, you can f uh, subscribe to him at Stumblebee. Uh, really awesome content. If you like video games, I promise you'll like his content. I myself am not the same level of video game enthusiast <laughs> that he is, but dude, his content's fantastic. You got to check it out. And as always, honor the huddle. Thank you for tuning in to the Hotard Huddle Podcast. Stay up to date with all the latest episodes released on the 1st and 15th of every month at hotardhuddle.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hotard Huddle.